If you guys can, open up your Bibles. We'll be turning to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll be in verses 13 through 22. As you can see, we're continuing our series of uh, 2 Peter from 1 Peter, living like an exile. Today, we're going to be talking about the ultra-romantic topic for Valentine's Day, spotting a false prophet. <laughs> so I know that's why you're here today, because you were looking for that topic. It's going to be a good one, very relevant to today. Um, as we're going uh, to that passage and you're flipping over there, I just want to remind you that in 1 Peter, we were talking a lot about persecution, you know, coming the way of the church. And it's interesting that uh, Peter is switching over to a new gear in 2 Peter where he's actually talking about uh, the attacks from within the church. And so basically what he's saying through this particular passage is to avoid deception, you must fall completely surrendering to the truth. You can't be like half in, half out. To avoid deception altogether, you have to aim towards God's truth, not just someone's truth. You ever hear that? That's not my truth. Well, this, is, this topic is for everybody that has ever said that to you. This is not my truth. There is only one truth, and it's Jesus Christ. And we are walking towards that truth together, and that's what the Lord is leading us to. To follow the path that Jesus has laid out before us is to follow the path of righteousness, reminding you the word righteousness is right standing with God. Once you are there, then you know what the truth is. And so we are walking from this sin of this world towards truth. Now, 2 Peter is a school of truth. That's basically what he's doing. He's writing a letter not to a specific church. Like uh, Philippians went to the church of Philippi, right? Colossians went to the uh, church of Colossia, right? So we're sending them out these letters. No, this was a church, a letter that was written to all the churches. And so you can see Peter is like very, very adamant about saying, in the school of Christianity, it's really, really unique. You get to choose your teachers. Who, who listens to podcasts of different teachers around the world today? You get to choose. You can just go online and pick anybody, right? But how do you choose? By what criteria do you choose? And that is what Peter is saying today. We need to make sure that we are chasing people that are chasing the righteousness of God. Uh, I just want to put up this verse for you right away, just so you can see how important this was right at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do what is right, this is God talking to Cain, right? If you do what is right, you will not, if you do, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Has anyone heard that verse before? It's like sin is right there. If you leave a crack open, it's like with lizards in Florida, right? If you leave a crack open, animals are coming in, right? That's sin. It wants to, to die right in. But no one usually quotes this next part. Listen to how important it is. Sin is what he's talking about. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I mean, that was right away, right? This is right after Adam and Eve, you know, fall. We have Cain and Abel. They're, they're ent you know, Cain's entering into sin. And what's the first thing that God's saying? You must learn to master sin because sin is going to try to master you. We've said this before, learn to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So Satan is going to attack the church in two basic ways, and that's what Peter is talking about. First is uh, the external attack, and that's through persecution. The next one through 2 Peter we're looking at is internal attacks through perversion. And that's what we're seeing today in a lot of churches. Like, so if you were to go to maybe, say, China or, or to a church that was oppressed, you would say that the attacks are coming from without, right? The persecution is crushing them from the outside. But when you go to a place where there is no persecution, what do you see? The attacks are from within. 
perversion from within to dilute the word of God. And so this begs the question, when you're choosing your teachers, and that includes me standing in this pulpit, what are the dangers of you as a listener? You must find a person who loves the Lord more than they love themselves. Is your teacher chasing the righteousness of God or is your teacher chasing their own righteousness? And that's what Peter is doing. He's schooling us on the signs of all the false teachers that have come the way of, of the church. Notice it was Jesus was you know, resurrected, right? And then he ascended to heaven. And then it wasn't within the next 30 years, people were like, Jesus didn't even exist. And you're standing next to Peter and Peter's like, you gotta be kidding me. After all that I've been through with Jesus, you're going to tell me he does, that immediately false teachers came in. Why? Because they had their own agenda. They didn't have God's agenda. And so there's going to be four blasphemers in this particular passage, and I want you to notice it. See how they hold up to Jesus Christ. See how these blasphemers hold up to the way that you know Jesus is as a shepherd. Look at verse 10. I'm just going to go back to that real quick. It says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh, Right? And despise authority. Just want to remind you inside of this, it says this, if we're not guarded by the word or we do not walk in complete obedience to the word, what are we saying? We're going to immediately slip over to corrupt desires. It's immediately that fast. So your desire can drift. Has anyone ever spent time with the word of the Lord? Has anyone ever spent time with the word of the Lord and then not spent time and then all of a sudden you're like in a desert? We call that being in a spiritual desert, dry. I just need to get back to the presence of the Lord. Well, that's the same true for all your teachers. Your teachers need to be swallowed up by the presence of the Lord. If we are not guarded by the, the, the motivation and temptation of the, of the world against it by standing in the word of the Lord, what are we given into? Immediately to our flesh. And that's what he's saying. There are people that not only are corrupt in their desire of the flesh, they have no truth in them because they despise authority. Whose authority? God's authority. Look at the next part. Bold and arrogant. Bold and arrogant. Isn't that fascinating that you put it in there? Bold and arrogant, and the reason why we want to connect this is these are people who want to be leaders in society. They have the ambition to be a leader in society. But why do they want this position? Because they want to drag their sin out into the light to make their sin the light. That's why they're bold and arrogant. Just take a step back. I'm not going to point any fingers. We're not going to aim at anybody. But have you ever just been amazed when you look at the news and you see some kind of a church making a bold and arrogant claim that you know not to be true to the word? But they don't say it like we're trying to figure it out. They say it bold and arrogant, like, oh, we are the leaders. We are at the forefront. We are progressive. Have you heard that word before? And it's not to say that the word progressive bad, but they are progressively leading what? A new truth that Jesus just found out? No. This is what he's saying. A godless society will lead by their sinful nature. Do we see that today? That's the blaspheming that we're seeing here is a complete rebellion because they're taking liberalities. They're being real liberal with the word. We cannot be liberal with God's word. We must take it as the nourishment that is meant for our soul because the word doesn't change. The covenants don't change. God never changes. Obviously, there's a new covenant and an old covenant, right? But there's the same God that's throughout it leading his people. And so what we have to say is, are we walking by the power of the Lord? Are we walking by the power of our flesh? When you looked at Jesus Christ, what did you see? He was walking by the Spirit. Jesus Christ, the man, as he was walking through ministry, he walked by the power of the servant, by the Spirit. His ministry didn't even take off until the Holy Spirit came upon him. So even as a man, he followed the Lord through the Spirit, not by his flesh. Look at the next part. It says, so bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, 
Do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. Notice what he's doing. He's laying out a huge contrast here. He's saying there's these false prophets that walk into the church and preach a gospel, and then they just kind of lay into all these spiritual, these spiritual beings. So, but what he's saying is that there's these angels, for whatever reason, like we don't know why Peter, Peter wrote that, but what he was saying is that, well, if you notice that the angels have never actually said something negative towards fallen angels or towards false prophets, where do these angels reserve that judgment to? The Lord. I'm not in a position to make a righteous judgment and righteous anger because I'm not that person. I reserve that judgment for the Lord. Now, we can provoke people to good works. We can point to the word, but we cannot stand in judgment the way that the Lord can stand in judgment because that would be hypocritical. Yet there are angels. Now, let's think about this. Angels that are in good standing with the Lord have always obeyed the Lord, reserved their speech to say, I will not say anything negative because I'm not in that position. It's kind of an, like an interesting contrast that he's laying out. He goes, if the angels conduct themselves this way towards these false prophets, maybe we should. Maybe we should reserve the judgment of the Lord to these people. I grew up as a child in the 80s. And I don't know if you guys were remembering back then, but remember how many fallen pastors were making national news at that time. But they were, uh, there was some mudslinging going on at that time. How did that help the church? Even if these pastors were not doing a good job, even if these pastors were not living for the Lord, even if these pastors were clearly out of line, right? Who, who would remove them? God in his time. And he did. So we didn't have to sling mud. We could just actually rely on the governing bodies of that church that the Lord had put, instituted. But also too, there's no reason for us to go out there and sling mud, but we could say, I trust that the Lord will have a handle on this situation. Is God in control of his church? And so what he's saying is keep your heart in the character of God. You know, as we say in Malachi, walk humbly, speak the truth in love, desire mercy. Notice that the false prophets, even though we want to remove them, they don't, have, they don't conduct themselves in that way. They don't carry themselves away. Did Jesus carry himself in that way? Absolutely. Even when he was going up against people that were counter to him, did he ever rise up in anger? Did he ever, you, know, you say, well, he whipped the people in the temple, Joey, but it was righteous anger. But could Peter ever do that? Could John ever do that? Could Andrew ever do that? No, they were like, give us lightning, Jesus, so we could go to that town that rejected us so we could electrocute everybody. That's us in good judgment, Lord. And Jesus is like, I'm not giving you anything like that. You guys are not in that space. That's what he's saying. Walk humbly, speak the truth in love, and desire mercy. Do you see that out of your shepherd? Notice what the truth of the situation is. Verse 12, but these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. This might be stronger language than we realize, um, because in the Middle East, they didn't really keep animals as pets. I was down in Vero the other day with my boys, and we stopped in a store, and there was this lady who had a gold bag for her little, I guess it was a Yorkie or something, it was this here, and he had a gold chain around his neck, and he had little mittens on his feet, and he's sitting in this gold bag, and she picked him up, and she's giving him Starbucks, and she's kissing him, and they're kissing each other. I'm like, I don't even live this good. Like, look at this dog. I mean, he's just living really, really good. That would have never happened in the Middle East. There was no point to an animal and be like, this is my little fur baby. They didn't say that over there. There was no, you know, like there's indoor dogs and outdoor dogs. They're all outdoor dogs. What he's saying is here is, 
These people that are like this are living only by their instinct are just like animals. Think of it like this. It's flesh here on earth, no soul. He's, it's really strong language. He's saying these are disgusting like farm animals and we're letting them into the pulpit. And this is what he's saying. They're, they're coming here with no authority of the spirit because they have no spirit in them. And it's really kind of, kind of uh, amazing to see it. There's an old saying that my, my pastor when I was growing up in South Florida used to say, used to say, corruption brings destruction. Corruption brings destruction. The corruption is to let a wild animal into the church. That's what he's saying. So you've never seen this. You've never seen most animals give themselves over to indulgence like a human being. So what he's actually coming here and saying is that these human beings are almost less than animals. Like an animal has the instinct, I need to eat, I'll go eat. I don't care what anybody's doing. Have you ever put down a slice of pizza and had to be like, not turn your back to the dog before, you've, you, know, before you could return to it? Like, don't you? Don't. I'll just take it with me, right? Because he's going to eat it because that's all he's thinking. But what he's saying here, what Peter is saying here is these people don't want any part of the authority of God. They've completely given themselves over to their nature, their sinful nature, guess what they're doing? They're like wild animals with no soul. Now they're leading you. Why would you want to follow that? And so, so far we've seen three levels of blasphemy. They've despised authority. They're bold and arrogant in their sin and the rebellion by letting their flesh drive them or corruption is king. But corruption brings? Very good. It's good. You guys are there. Verse 13, look what it says. They will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. So this is kind of closely in language to the wages of sin is death. Corruption brings destruction. What he's actually saying is you got to get a commission. You get a bonus. I used to work for a credit card company and we used to sell like all these fancy credit cards. Like if somebody wanted the Beatles or if somebody wanted NASCAR. But the more you sell, the more commission you got, right? It would build on itself. So the more you would sell, if you sold 10, you got, you know, 10 bucks. If you sold 20, you got 40 bucks. That's how this is being laid out. For the amount of harm that they're going to get, they're going to get a commission sale of their unrighteousness. But what he's saying is they're not suffering from the unrighteousness that they're in. They are unrighteous. These false prophets have come into the church and they are unrighteous. Look at their next part. He's getting really kind of dark poetic with this. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are like blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. That's a fascinating word because there's two things that he's doing there that would play into the minds of these people. The first one is they are like blots and blemishes. Blots and blemishes is what he would say that people would pick up on it is a sacrifice. When you would pick an animal out for a sacrifice, what would you look for? One without blots and blemishes. But we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord but we are covered in blots and blemishes. You're like, Joey, I'm not good. I would say to you, I'm not ready to offer myself as a living sacrifice for God, except for one reason, when the blood of Jesus Christ washes me and makes me white as snow. And now I am represented blameless, not perfect, but blameless before the Lord. Why? Because I have rested in the work of the Lord and now I am following Christ. I am giving my life to Christ. I am a living sacrifice. But these false prophets come in and they're covered in blots and blemishes. I would say it this way. They're almost like disformed, like, you know, like disabled, like, you know, like, a, like a hobbly lamb coming in and we're going, oh, look at that living sacrifice. It's like, no, that's, that's a tainted sacrifice. They have given, they've indulged in their transgressions. They're, they're living in luxury. Have you ever seen that kind of thing? Have you ever turned on the news? Some pastor has 13, like, you know, Lear jets. 
right? There's hungry people in the audience. There's hurting people, but they, that guy has certain, not to say that God could never bless somebody with a jet to do that kind of ministry, but if you ever see me with a Learjet out of here with our congregation, just, just one time, there was the one time. But as I say like this, I would be like, you would go, hey, but why would you need that? That isn't even aligned to what we're doing in, in there. But if I had an international ministry, maybe, right? But what he's saying is there's a difference between offering yourself to the Lord. There's another thing, living in luxury to the point that it was rebellion and you were deceived to the point that you became no longer a living sacrifice, but a distorted sacrifice. And so he's saying it's not pure ignorance, it's pure blindness. And how you kind of know that is, is 1 John 2.19, it says this. It's kind of like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Look how he says it here. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. I, I want to remind you just of a, a quick story. Some of you guys know who I'm talking about, but I won't say the name. I grew up in South Florida, and I went to a church, and I had a really awesome pastor that was influential on me. But he gave his life over to a debased life, like he was living outside of his means, and he was not being faithful to his wife, yada, yada, you know, he got removed. But here's the thing that's crazy about it. Do you think the Lord would forgive him? Yes. Would the Lord restore him? Maybe not to a position in the pulpit anymore, but to a position in the church where he could serve and, and serve the Lord well? Yes, because we're all redeemed. But did he return to that position? No, because he never belonged to us. Because he never belonged to the Lord. That puts you into an idea of this, is that the person that is teaching you, are they sitting down to uh, maybe a meal with you at the table of the Lord, but trying to offer you the meal without the Jesus? Jesus prepared the meal. We are obligated to the person who is setting the table and preparing the table and feeding us. We cannot have heaven without Jesus. It wouldn't be heaven. So if your teacher is coming before you and trying to offer you the things of God without God, guess where you're at? You're sitting at the table with a wolf. And so this letter, I just want to remind you, is the people of these churches that are reading this letter right now are reading this because they are willfully either letting this person teach and so letting themselves be deceived, or maybe they just need to be uh, their eyes open to it. But remind you, this is not to non-believers. This is a letter written to the church. So imagine this letter was written to this church and we were reading it for the first time. This is how it would come into this room. To the righteous people in this room, remain blameless with God. Fight the good fight. To those of you that are secretly living in a sinful lifestyle, understand what he's saying here. God desires mercy. God has also seen you. God knows what you're doing, and God will not remain idle while you blaspheme him in his name. But he desires mercy, but he wants you to walk out of that life because that's why he's presenting this as a letter and not as judgment, right? If, there's, if they wanted judgment, lightning bolts and ground could open up, right? But that's not what's happening. You're hearing the heart of the Lord. You're hearing God say, lay down your sin, come back home to me. Come back home, come back to my heart. And that's what we're saying to uh, the people of this church. We're saying to the people of the church this day, remain blameless or run away from your sin. But the Lord has seen you. Now look at verse 14. He says, with eyes full of adultery, specifically talking about spiritual adultery, they never stop sinning they seduce the unstable. So that's the young in faith. They are experts in greed and an accursed brood. And so what he's actually saying there at the end is like, uh, you know, when you have like a, a good set of parents, like say you, God is your father, 
we should be great children. If you have a false prophet, the cursed brood comes out of them. You can see what's coming out of them is not good. The, the offspring of them is not good. But who are they picking? They're picking off the young in faith. They're grabbing the people that are hurting. They're grabbing the people that are most vulnerable and bringing them, quote unquote, to the dark side, right? They're, they're grabbing these people that are easily put a hook in them and pulling them to the side. And what he's saying is that you are operating in the wages of wickedness by doing this to these young people in faith. Not young people, like you could be 100 years old and just came to the Lord but not know your faith and that's the person that the false prophet wants to grab right away. And he's saying you have to watch because your future is you're walking not just towards wickedness, you're walking away from the truth. Now look at how they seek for their affirmation to the sin. The false prophet's gonna go, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing the right thing because I'm in, I'm in the work of the Lord. I'm doing the things of the Lord. Are there people doing things in the name of Jesus today? There's a guy in Miami, I don't know if he's still doing this, but he says if he lays hands on you and blesses you because he's received the word of the Lord, you will get a Rolex. I don't know if it's a knockoff Rolex, but it's a Rolex. But he'll lay his hands on your wrist and you'll get a Rolex. I heard that when I was growing up. I don't know if he's still down there. But that's what I said. You're walking away. But now look at this, verse 15. I bring this up because it plays in this. Look at verse 15. It says, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. And now this is a call back to Numbers chapter 22. I think through 24, 25. Uh, the story of Balaam is, if you know, the king of Moabites came to Balaam and was like, hey, I want to defeat the Israelites, but God, too strong. You're a prophet of God. Tell me how to do it. And initially, Balaam's like, no, 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 no. I can't. I'm a prophet of God. I work with God. That's bad for business. No good. And they said, well, we'll pay you. Right? And so Balaam is like, wait, no, but how much? If Just saying. If we were just talking, what's the amount that you're throwing around, right? And so you can see that just being a man of God, saying you're a man of God, doesn't mean you have the heart of a man of God. Because I want to ask you this question. Did Balaam go on to sin? I'm going to spoil the story for you. You've never heard it before. Did Balaam go on to sin because he was tempted or because he was a sinner? Well, you say the temptation was so strong. No, he was always a sinner. He was always a blasphemer in his heart. This is just now coming out, right? And so... This is the mindset of the Antichrist and Satan, isn't it? It's not your way, Lord. It's the fleshly way. It's the impulse way. Does, does Satan care if you go to church but don't love the Lord? No, he would love that. Does he care if you go to church but then have like a million affairs, look at pornography, shoot up black tar heroin, but you're at church going, what a mighty God we serve. Does he care that you're doing that on Sunday? No, he does not care. Why? Because you have not mastered your sin. Corruption leads to, so this is what happened. On his way to go do what he was doing, remember that, that verse about how animals are an impulse? Look how Paul, this is really amazing because we think of Peter as impulsive. Peter gets really poetic. Look at verse 16. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So here's what's happening. The king of, of Moab is like, tell me how to defeat Israel. He says, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me something good. He gives them something good. He goes, here's how you do it. You can seduce Israel to sin by sending your women to sleep with the guys and pull them away in idolatry. That's how you get them is through that. And they're like, oh, okay, that'll work. That'll be great. But on his way to do this, 
there's an angelic messenger that's standing in the road. But the prophet of God is so desensitized to the spirit of God because he's been playing around in his flesh too much, he doesn't even notice the angelic messenger. But this animal who that has no soul and doesn't really have that connection with God stops in the, in the, in, in the walkway, right? He stops and he goes, I'm not going to go further. There's an angel there. And so Balaam starts hitting this donkey as hard as he can. And finally the donkey turns and says, would you quit it? There's an angelic messenger. What do you want? We, we both can't go this way. But did that stop Balaam from doing what he was supposed to be doing in, in his mind? No, he did the wrong thing anyway. He was still corrupt. He still went forward with his diabolical plan. Why? Because he was always blaspheming in his heart. So it didn't matter that he was doing a good thing for the Lord at one time. His heart wasn't always for righteousness. He was a man of greed. You know, um, the Pope at one time was counting money in front of St. Thomas Aquinas. Has anyone heard this story? And he said, no longer can we say St. Thomas, or he said Thomas at the time. It wasn't St. Thomas. He goes, Thomas, no longer can we say silver and gold have I none. Because he's counting all this money. Look how rich we are as the church, right? We're, we're getting all the gold. And St. Thomas turned and said to me, no longer can we say rise and walk either. Because we are no longer a people of the spirit. We are down in our flesh. We have abandoned the Holy Spirit. We have abandoned God. We have abandoned his ministry and we have let our flesh rule. And that is where we are. It can be a church that is out of touch with the spirit when we get in our flesh. And that is where the enemy will attack, especially a church like ours today because we live in a modern world with modern conveniences. Is temptation as high as it's ever been? Can you turn on a computer and be tempted? TV? Everywhere there's temptation. Corruption is everywhere. No matter what safeguards we put in it. I, I read an article by a guy that says, if we just educate everybody, they will just be smart and they will never do bad things again. And the professor on the other side of him said, well, if we just educate everybody, we'll just have smarter criminals. Instead of stealing, you know, what's on the train, they'll steal the whole train track. That's all we're doing is we're making smarter and smarter sinners. And that is what's happening with Balaam. The animal had more sense than the man. Why? Because Balaam was not connected with the Lord and we need to comfort ourselves in on Christ and not in our flesh. Now, look at verse 17. And this is where the, the turning point in the, in the text is. This is another way we can see the results of a false teacher. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. And so a false teacher once again promises something that they cannot give, only what God can give. But what they're trying to do is invite you to the table to feast with them to a meal that only God can serve, right? And so look how he describes them. It's really, really, it doesn't kind of land in the, in the English, but it's kind of poetic for Peter. Remember, this is Peter, impulsive Peter, cutting off ears in the garden. This is, this is a huge step for him. Look what he says, a well without water. A well without water. What he's saying is just a pit. You, you walk into a well without water, there's nothing even satisfying that. So what's going to happen? You're either going to walk away thirsty, right? You're going to have no water from it. You're not going to satisfy your thirst, but you might fall in and it might collapse. That's what the well is, a well with it. And look at the next part. He says, mist driven by a storm. It's poetically saying they're unstable. They can just be blown around by the any latest and greatest thing that is coming along. Um, I, I remember one time Pastor Mark would not let us go to the latest and greatest healing uh, conference in Lakeland. And I was like, why? Everybody's there and they're getting healed and it's awesome. And he goes, he just goes like this. It was the greatest. He goes, there's no spirit here. And I go, Pastor Mark, how can you say that? There's all these people going to heal. And he goes, he turns on the TV and there's this guy. And he goes, bring this lady up here. She's sick. And he just punched her in the face as hard as he could. And he goes, 
She's healed. No, she's knocked out. That's what Pastor Mark said. She doesn't have a headache anymore because she's not even alive. I don't know. But it's like, you look at this, he goes, why would the spirit ask this man to do this? Come to find out that lady ended up suing that man because she got broken bones in her face. What are we going to be doing? This is a mist driven like there is no latest and greatest thing. There is only Jesus. There is no new fad. There is no new way. There's only been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus. And so what he's saying is that there's no light in them. It's the blackest of darkness. Can you imagine going to a healing conference to only get punched in the face to leave with a medical bill? That leaves, that leaves a hole in your heart for Jesus. It's not just the damage that the false prophet has done as you're going, where is the Lord in all this? That is why they are the blackest of darkest nights, right? Look at verse 18. For their mouth is empty, boastful words, and by appealing to their lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. And so once again, he's saying they're enticing people with sensuality. So they're, they're, they're trying to leave, right? They're trying to leave sin. They're trying to get out of the way. But these false teachers are going, no, that's okay. You can have Jesus plus. Jesus plus the sinful lifestyle. Jesus plus, when he was talking about you wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God, all you sinners, he wasn't talking about you. He's seducing them right back towards the sin. But what is he really doing? He's walking them away from the truth. And now look at verse 19. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Corruption leads to destruction. Just remember Jimmy Swaggart. Remember that story? How many hurting hearts came out of that? Jim Baker. I'm only bringing these names because they're older names and it's not anybody that we can point to right now. But how many people were hurt out of that ministry? How many people gave to that ministry, poured into that ministry? But does that change who Jesus is? No, no, the Lord is still a solid rock to which we can build our lives. But what are they doing? It's the classic blind leading the blind. We have to find people of light that are chasing Jesus. And so what he's saying is they're proclaiming a different freedom, but they themselves are a slave. How can Jimmy Swaggart set anybody free if he's going to a hotel with prostitutes? Oh, uh, Jimmy, I'm trying to get right with my wife. You're not even living that way, so how can the slave set the slave free? There's only one freedom, and it's in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, if they have escaped the corruption of this world by knowing or by recognition our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It's kind of like this. As you guys know, I do uh, outreaches into the schools in this area. It's much easier for me to preach the gospel to someone who's never been to church than someone who's been to church and hurt. Because I got to go, look at the word he says there. Uh, Our Lord Jesus Christ and are entangled in it again. They're entangled in it again. I got to undo double the, the knots Satan has done to them this time because now they speak Christianese and they're in sin. So you know how hard that is? You know how, what kind of kung fu I have to bring to that fight? Because they already know what I'm gonna say, yet they don't believe. Why? Because they've already dealt with a false prophet. And that's what he says. It's twice as hard. Look at verse 21. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command or the gospel that was passed on to them. Now he gets really poetic. Look at this. This is verse 22. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. <laughs> but what he's saying right here is that this is really has no basis in logic, right? When someone 
regurgitates. When someone throws up, it's the corruption leaving their body. But if you've ever seen a dog return to it, you're like, that doesn't, that doesn't fit in reason, but the dog is just reacting to instinct, right? Food. You're like, that's disgusting. It's totally disgusting. I hope you guys are not going out to eat after this. This is what Peter wrote, not what I wrote. But corruption has been ejected only for them to run back to it. Doesn't even make sense physically or spiritually. Why would you return to the sin that put you in that position where you needed Jesus in the first place? Why put Jesus back on the cross? Why would you nail Jesus again to the cross with a new corruption that you know that is wrong? It doesn't make any sense. I want you to see how he defines what this kind of corruption has a, um, no place in the kingdom. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 on the screen. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, look at the next part, the most important part. No sacrifice for sins is left. What he's saying is, there is no other life except for the life that Jesus Christ sacrificed for you. When you are spiritually resurrected from the death of your sins, you were spiritually dead in your sins, and now you've been resurrected, and you choose sin again, that's like returning to vomit. It makes no sense, but he said there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life, and it doesn't include you going back to corruption over and over again. At some point, you have to make a decision and say, I choose the life. I choose life over death. I will not return to corruption. I will run towards righteousness. I'm not saying you haven't made a mistake. I'm not saying that you haven't been angry or, you know, you've been in a situation where, that, you know, you were tested and you didn't, you know, come out as stellar. I'm talking you choose to live in sin over choosing to live in Christ because the only redemption that we have is in Christ. Now, everything that we have said up to this point is now a, a, a standard of how you could spot a false teacher. I want you to see what 1 John 4, 1 says to you as a command in the middle of this. And this includes, once again, Joey Everington, Craig, Ryan, everybody that you come across. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so I'm gonna get real practical with you right now. The affirmation that you should receive here in this church is the affirmation of who God is in the Bible. If anybody gets up here or in your podcast or your radio shows and they are not preaching the word as God has instructed it, then they are not of the Lord. Now, the reason why this is important is because the Lord doesn't need any of us to add to the word, does he? And you've seen the destruction of that, right? How about people taking away from the word? You know, I have people knocking on my door today, and I used to love when they would come to the door. Jackie would be like, oh gosh, here he goes. But I'm like, come on in. I hope you brought your Bible. We're gonna turn to, and I would, you know, go to all these different Bible verses with them. But I've noticed something changing over the year. They're removing Bible verses. It's not, it's not because of me. I learned this from the internet. So like, I found some guy on YouTube who, who knew how to, you know, deal with people who knocked on your door, and I wrote it all down, and I got all ready. But I noticed that they're taking words out of the Bible. They're taking away from the ideas that the Lord has given to us. So beware of anybody tampering with the truth. Beware of anybody who's trying to tell you something new versus something that is true. Christ is not here to specifically entertain you. Christ is here to deliver you. And I want to remind you, whether you're sitting in the seats or you're up here in the pulpit, Satan will use anybody who's willing to be used. That's it. That's it. So if anybody stands on the word and loves the Lord and rejects their sin and calls Jesus Christ their Messiah, guess what? They are not to be used by Satan. 
And that is the gospel that we preach to each other every day. And so I just want you to marinate on this one thought. Alexander Hamilton said this. Those who stand for nothing fall for everything. There's a lot of people in the church today that will not stand on the word. I'm gonna say that Peter paraphrased this and said it even better. Those who do not stand on the rock of the Lord will sink in all other shifting sands. So our question for us today is, is our life built on the rock? Is our church built on the rock? Is our heart locked into what the word has said? So here's three questions that you can ask yourself. Who am I in Christ? If you can answer that honestly, then you know where you're at. Like you say, who am I in Christ? I'm a sinner that is redeemed by the blood of the Lord. Then that's who I am. If, I, if Christ and I are just friends and we high five each other to, every day, you might know you have a lot of work to do. If Christ and I just say hi to each other on the way out the door, that's who we are to each other. But if Christ is your Messiah, that is who you are. A blood-bought, redeemed, sealed in the Holy Spirit, child of God. What is my assurance? I have the blessed assurance of the blood of Jesus Christ that when I get to heaven, my invitation to heaven isn't me, it is Christ. So the only reason that I'm standing there in heaven is not because of my works, but because of the good works that Christ did on the cross. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. I do not own that. My assurance is Jesus Christ. What must I do? I must carry out the work of completion along with Christ every day. I must rest upon the work of the Lord. There is no Jesus plus. There is no Jesus anything else. There is only Jesus. So I just want to remind you this. The Lord has given us such sanctuary and fortress, even from our own sin and our own flesh. So if you are in this room today and maybe you've been struggling with false teachings or maybe a teaching that you know not to be true to yourself, let's even take people out of the equation. It's just you and Jesus. Here's the true word of God. Just cling to the rock. Just cling to the rock that has never moved. No matter what you have done in your life, no matter what your performance is, no matter what your past looks like, Jesus Christ died for that. That is the gospel. That is all we are preaching here. That is all we are teaching here. The word of God revolves around one man and his name is Jesus Christ. And when you get to heaven, the only thing that's gonna get you through the pearly gates is the name of Jesus Christ. How did you know my son and what did you do with his name? I'm gonna close on this verse. We closed on it last time and, and then we can pray. But I want you to see Matthew 7. And this is how you hold everything you do accountable and also us as pastors accountable. Look at verse seven, or Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. You know, we can look in recent history at many churches that have fallen with a great crash because they were not built on the rock. And yet we see people that are persecuted across the globe and their churches are flourishing. Why? Because they are built upon the rock. This is the last slide and we'll pray. Righteousness, it means to be in right standing with the Lord. You know, the focus of the truth of this passage starts right here, right now. The story of the Bible is his story, God's story. 
We are walking through his story and he's holding the pen. Do you realize that? And so it makes sense that we would submit and surrender our life to the person that holds the pen of our life. The New Testament and the Old Testament are the same. God never changes. Why does God never change? Because he's perfect. He's perfect in every way and we must rest in that. So tonight, if you need to, I'm gonna make a declaration for myself, but I hope you join me. If you need to get right with the Lord, if you have not been building your life on the rock, if there is a place in your heart that you can feel that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight, there is no time like the present to get right with God. Don't go, when I get home, maybe next week, we'll start Monday, God. None of that. January 1st, that's come and gone. No, we don't know. Tonight, the Lord has said, I am here to redeem the life that was once lost and make it mine. So if we can, bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray. Lord, we just thank you and we just praise you for the compassion that you pour out on us every day. Lord, we don't deserve your kindness. We don't deserve how good you are. But yet you are here pursuing us, passionately speaking to us. Get rid of that sin. Lay down that foolishness. Walk away from that false teaching. Lord, search our hearts. Remove in us anything that is not in your way, anything that is not righteous, anything that is not good. Even if we mean well, Lord, convict us in our heart now and say, that just needs to go away. If you're in this room tonight and you need to make that declaration to the Lord, tonight, say this prayer with me. Jesus, I love you. Please forgive me. I have gone astray, but I have heard your voice today. I have heard your mercy. I confess my sins and I return to you. And I call you my savior and I call you my Messiah. And I know that I belong to you. I am ready to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.